Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Where I've been, and we're, we're going over part two of where I've been. And I want to start with this question. Where do you go to in your mind when you think about the past? Where do you go in your mind when you think about the past? Do you go to being a child? Do you go to being a teenager? Do you go just a couple years ago? What is, it, what is the environment that you're in when you think about the past? Where are you? What is it that you're going through to where that is such a monumental thing? I want you to really get in your, in your mind today, in your heart, in your feels, and I want you to think about where is it that you're going. And in preparing for this message, I, I've been really just moved by the story of Joseph. And as a base, as a foundational piece, I want us to look at this scripture before we go on. And it's in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 4. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. The reason I want this to be a verse that we stick at is that in this moment, Joseph, after years and years, I think it was like, what, 40 years, 40 years plus that he was sold into Egypt. And when he finally confronts all of his pain, he's still just that little boy that his brothers betrayed. He's a grown man, has all kinds of responsibilities, has authority. He's he's made it. He's become who he always was set out to be. But when he confronts his pain, he's still just that little boy that his brothers betrayed and sold to Egypt. And so I want you to now think again about who that person is for you. That moment where maybe you felt betrayed. That moment where you had a tremendous life change. What was it for you? And looking at my, I'll answer the question too. (laughs) Looking at my past, I think about how just this January, January 27th, actually marked my spiritual birthday. Y'all ain't gonna give me nothing. That's all right, there's still time. I accept late presents. But it was 
January 27th, 10 years ago in 2010, that I became a Christian. Yep. It was the day that I got water baptized. It was the day that I chose to uh, live a life of sobriety. It was the day that I decided that I wanted to be 100% in with God. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I was praying last night, I started crying. I I just really wept. And even though it's 10 years later, I still feel like that 17-year-old boy. I still feel like that same kid that has no idea what he's doing, that was lost, that was broken. I still feel like that kid. And I have to remind myself every now and then that I'm an an adult. that I have responsibilities, that I'm different. Because even though I, I, I'm still lost and broken, I'm truly found and made whole. And even though I have a lot of responsibilities now, I'm still just trying to figure out myself. You know what I'm talking about? And... I'm still a person full of mistakes, just my mistakes look a little bit different. And deep down, I'm still just trying to believe and search for the love of God that accepts me where I'm at right now. That's, that's like the, the base of who I am in my faith, is that I'm just trying to find the love of God in my life right now and believe that He accepts me where I'm at right now. What I do now is a lot different than what I used to do. (laughs) But still, all I'm trying to do is find the love of God and believe that He accepts me where I'm at right now. And when we realize that we're still that person from years ago. It's a humbling thing to think about, isn't it? And I feel like if you, especially if you, you got something there, if, if the first thing that you thought of was a dark place, when you revisit that place of who you are, it brings tears just like it did for Joseph. It, it brings discomfort. And I really want us to to think about where we've been all this time. And I feel like so often what we try to do is just forget about that kid that we are. We try to just block out what we've really gone through, what we've experienced, We try to block out our mistakes, our pains, and we try to just forget about it and move on. But just like Joseph, I feel like there's one day to where it's almost like everything just confronts you at once. And you have to either face it or run from it. And in this story, 
There is two other times that Joseph saw his brothers. <laughs> and both times, he spoke harshly to them. He never let them know who he really was. But he allowed himself to be the version that he wanted to be in front of them. Even though deep down, he was still that kid that was hurt by him. That, isn't that not exactly how we behave? Maybe it's a parent you don't see for a long time, and then when you see them, you just try to act like you, you don't need them anymore. You have it all together. And you, but deep down, you're still so upset and disturbed by the thoughts that you wish they had of you. You're thinking to yourself, even though you're acting all cool and like everything's fine, oh, that's, it was, I was a kid, don't worry about it. Deep down, you're just asking the question, why didn't you care about me more? Why don't you care about how I feel? Why didn't you just help me when I needed you? I know what I'm talking about. And instead, we just put on the version of ourselves that doesn't need them anymore has moved on and for Joseph it took two times of his brothers traveling miles and miles to see him again and then finally the third time he couldn't take it anymore and he was actually ready to send them away again there's a moment though where Judah one of his older brothers says don't take Benjamin with you Still didn't realize that Joseph was Joseph. And Joseph had planned this thing to get his full brother to stay with him. And he was going to treat him with you know, all this love because they they, he was still scared that they were going to do the same thing to his little brother that they did to him. And there's a moment where Judah said, Take me instead. I can't bear to see my father's heart crushed again the way it was crushed when his first, when his other son was lost, talking about Joseph. And at that moment, Joseph could not hold back his emotions because he saw a complete change of person in Judah to where all of them were saying, we're not going to leave without our brother. While before, for no reason at all, they were willing to get rid of their brother like nothing. And so one... At that moment, he could not bear his emotions. I mean, imagine if your childhood trauma completely and restituted their apology to you. Or even better, if you were able to see like Joseph did from a third perspective, that they were genuine and authentic because they could gain nothing from telling it to you as a third person. That's what it was for Joseph. That they, he knew that they weren't lying because they didn't know he was Joseph. I mean, imagine if you could find that restitution in your soul of true, authentic love and, and apology. Everything that you wish they would have said, they said. Everything that you wish they would have done, they done. I want, us to, I want us to really focus on this idea of forgiveness for a moment. And before we go into the forgiveness of that 
that childhood you, that person that you thought of at the very beginning, I want us to go to the, the spots that we ignore but scream at ourselves all the time. And that's our mistakes. We ignore our mistakes. We try to forget about them. But whenever it is coming up, are we not the most critical people about ourselves? To where when we hear one neg uh, person say a negative cri uh, critical comment about us, that's all we can focus on because for some reason we're agreeing with them. In our hearts, there's this part of us that's like so disturbed and bothered by it because we're afraid that it's true. Because the truth is, we are even more critical than those jerks about ourselves. We were thinking those negative things about ourselves before they said anything. It's like the time that I reached out to different pastors to ask for advice on how to start a church, and I was already here, and I had one pastor tell me, uh, one, one person tell me, well, I really think that you just need to quit what you're doing and, and just go serve at your local church because you have no idea what you're doing. Just pretty much told me I was an idiot. And I was like, wow, like, thank you for vocalizing everything I've already thought about myself. <laughs> really, it's like you're a mind reader. <laughs> And when it comes to our mistakes or even our pain, you know, when I think about pain, it somehow is mixed in with my mistakes, even when that pain is not my fault. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I even think about deep pains that are, are very troublesome and not even appropriate in some settings. You know, it, it took me a long time to finally tell somebody that I was molested when I was 14. And see, that wasn't my mistake, but that was my pain. And it took years. In fact, the very first person I actually told about it was my wife when we got married. And it was months after we got married. She never knew. And when I told her all of that pain came out in tears. It's like Joseph right here. And see what happens when you actually confront those pains, those mistakes. There's, it's like something happens in your heart, your emotions, where it's like almost like a floodgate being open to where you've managed to stay so composed for years. For years, just with that simple thing for me, being molested when I was 14, for years, I acted like I was completely fine. I didn't shed one tear for over six years about being molested. I acted like it didn't bother me at all. But when I finally confronted it, I couldn't stop crying. That's what it's like for these childhood moments is that you can compose yourself for years. But what happens when you finally confront it? Why does it, how much longer can we lie to ourselves that we're fine, that we don't need to deal with it? I dare you to talk, if you're really fine, then talk about it without crying. 
without, without your heart hurting when you talk about it. Y'all know what I'm saying? And confronting these, these, these pains, these mistakes, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I know that you guys know me and that I don't ever make mistakes. Why did y'all smile like that? <laughs> but there's some mistakes that I have so burdened. They're, they burden my heart, my soul, to where I regret it for days, for weeks, for months. Even when, now, I'm, I'm not a, I haven't been a youth pastor for like four years. And I still think about mistakes I made when I was a youth pastor. Some of the biggest ones were the times I hurt a kid's feelings unintentionally. They probably don't even remember it, but it's like a mistake that just weighs heavy. Maybe it's a mistake in your, in your relationships, a mistake in marriage, a mistake in, with, with your parents. Man, I, I'm scared about the mistakes I'm going to make with kid, my kids. I mean, I'm sure I'm like the perfect dad compared to like Hitler. <laughs> but the truth is like there's been times where I, I do something to, to Joy or Jules and, and I, I literally think to myself like, did I just ruin their life? <laughs> Are they going to be that, that kid in a counselor's room? Like my dad is just so strict. Like, <laughs> it's ruined my life. Are they going to have to go to PTO because of me? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think about that and like how the magnitude of my mistakes. And it scares me. And then I think about the mistakes I've made with my wife. You're like, well, y'all's marriage is perfect. I know. <laughs> but when I think about the mistakes I've made with my wife, the times where I said something I didn't want to say, I did something I didn't want to do. I mean, those mistakes are things that you never really want to go back to, right? Just like those pains. And what I really want to encourage us to do is I want us to look at all of our experiences as moments of release, of restoration, of redemption. And I want us to look at these moments also as opportunities to grow as people, as Christians. And even though we're taught to hide all of these things under the rug, it only causes us to trip over it one day. You can only put so many things under the rug before it's a bump you trip over. And whether it's pain or mistakes, we have to face it one day. I love this song. Um, I think it, I think Missy Edwards sings it. I don't know. Or maybe it's a um, House of Prayer. I, I don't know. But there's a song. That's, it's called All Men Are Broken. And the lyrics are really simple. And it's just, All men are broken. And broken men break their children Who grow up to be broken men And it just sings about how we're all broken We break things 
that cause it to be broken too. And that is so sobering to think about. When I think about my parents, I'm not trying to say that they, did, Mom, I love you, but <laughs> I'm not trying to say that they did a horrible job, but when I think about the struggles I've had with them, and I think about their parents, and I know two of my grandparents, I was like, dang, <laughs> my grandfather was like hardcore. <laughs> I'll try to talk to my grandfather, and I could get like 30 seconds, maybe, before he's like, well, you better get going. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> It, you know, I think about just brokenness in people and how it's almost like that's one consistent thing in, in almost everybody, isn't it? Does it justify anything done to us? No. Of course not. But what I'm getting at is that in order to find closure... It involves a type of acceptance that this pain, even these mistakes, that it's a part of you now. And I think that's a disturbing thing to accept for some of us. Let's say all of us. For me, to accept that I am now a person that was molested as a kid, it, that's not really something I wanted to be a part of my story. Y'all dig what I'm saying? To be, to be able to accept that I am a person that has yelled at my wife before. I don't want that to be a part of my story. Some of you are like, y'all, you yelled at Lauren? She's cussed at me before. No, just joking. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, do I want that to be a part of my story? But is it? Y'all get what I'm saying? And the fear is that if this becomes a part of my story, then that becomes a part of my identity. That's where it's not true. Your identity is so pure and found in Christ that nothing in this world that we go through or experience can alter or change our identity that is found in Christ. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that identity is so strong, so pure, so good. I think the best way to, to, to look at the description of our identity and how we're seen by God is through the book of John. And all throughout the book of John, John references himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Because he realized his identity had nothing to do with what he could do for God, what he didn't do for God. It didn't have anything to do with his mistakes. John made a lot of mistakes. If you read some of the stuff he did, he looks like a psychopath. It, but he learned that his identity was not in any of his pain, any of his mistakes, anything he did, good or bad, that his identity was simply seen by how much God loved him. That is the purest form of identity. So once we get that, then it makes it a little bit easier to accept pain and mistakes as part of our story. And when we do that, 
even though we didn't get to choose what mistakes we've experienced or what pains we've experienced, we do get to decide the effect that it has on us after. There's a really popular story, and I will, this, it's like a fictional story, but I really love this story. And it's, it goes like this. There's twin brothers, and, there's one, uh, and one brother was at a bar getting just super drunk. Can't stand up drunk. And the bartender was just looking at him, and he's drinking more than everybody else in the bar, and he was just there by himself drinking and drinking and drinking. And the bartender went up to him and said, Hey man, how come you drink so much? And he looked up to him and slurred, Because my father drank. Finally, he passes out. says, Hey man, is there anybody to call? His brother. Gives him his brother's number. His brother comes. Picks him up off the floor and he's as sober as a bird. And the bartender is just shocked because they're twin brothers, but he looks like a completely different countenance person than his brother. He said, hey man, do you drink? He said, no, not at all. He says, why not? Because my father drank. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really depicts the power of choice we have to the pains that we experience. And to know that because of things that have happened to me, things that have happened to you, that they do not define you as a person. But that you have a choice of the effect it has on you. That's a powerful thing to grasp. That's an incredibly powerful thing to grasp. And just because I've been referencing my past, my pain, and this one aspect of being molested, I'm not trying to fixate around it, but it went from being something that I couldn't even talk about for years to when I, when I finally did, I, I went through a, a, a very a brutal process of trying to find closure in that. The only thing I had ever said about that experience was the day after it happened and I told a friend I was walking with, if I ever see that guy again, I'm gonna kill him. And that was the last thing I ever said about it. And then six years later, I have all of this emotion that I was trying to hide. And it was a very unsettling process of finding closure, of finding healing. And honestly, I don't think there's ever a point where I will be fully okay about it. Fully just healed. You know what I'm saying? There's just seasons where it's like you're just triggered and something upsets you. And that's one thing about like, I love, I love like PTO and people going through like finding true healing and emotions. But I feel like people are usually shocked when years later they're dealing with it again. The truth is, is some things are just never fully healed. Scars are still sensitive to touch after they're healed. And what it did though is that I remember the first time that I shared to a youth group during a big event with like 99 kids there, something like that. And it was the first time that I openly shared about being molested. And a bunch of kids came to the altar after the sermon, after the message. And I remember going to 
one young girl and asking what can I pray for and she just broke down and wept and talked about how she had been molested when she was younger and she had never told anybody else and that at that moment she felt like she could really deal with it because someone else shared and you see how redemptive that part of my story became and that's not the only time that that story has brought redemption like that but it was one of the first times that just really showed me how powerful it is to decide how a story is going to affect you y'all know what I'm saying and I want us to I want us to just look at one verse before we finish Joseph's story. And it's in Romans 8:28 through 29. And it says, "And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to his purpose for them." For God knew it's His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I feel like this, these verses really epitomize the power of God's redemption through our mistakes and through our pain. This, these verses doesn't say that He sends us any of this pain or mistakes, but it says that He will make all things work out for good. And when I really address these pains and mistakes and confront them, I feel like it's in the moment of, comf- of that confrontation that it works out for good. Only until then. If, it's like when I refuse to confront it and when I hide it and try to ignore it, it only hurts more. I only become more dull and desensitized to my heart, to my soul. But when I finally confront it, I, start, I begin to see how God makes it work out for good. Even though it was disgusting. Even though it was painful. Even though it was horrendous. He can make it work out for good. Now let's look back at Joseph. And... I want us to I want us to see what happened in his moment of redemption. And and Edward, I gave these verses out of order. This is the last verse with Joseph. And I want to read them again to you guys. At the beginning we just see his heart breaking down as he wept. Going back to Genesis forty five, starting all the way from the beginning again, one through eight, it says Joseph could stand it no longer. Did you find it, Edward? He's going to pull it over. I want y'all to read with it. Because it's meaningful. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. All of their mistakes confronting them at once. 
Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Now look at what Joseph says. He says, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. You know, this verse can really make us feel confused about God. It can really mess with us if we take it the wrong way. What I see here is I see a man crying bitterly as he's confronting his brothers that brought him so much pain. But the moment that he was finally able to find forgiveness is when he saw their hearts change for one. But when he was able to release it to God instead of keeping it on his brothers. <laughs> y'all, do y'all see the imagery of what Joseph is? He's, it's almost like he's convincing himself that it's not his brother's fault. The Bible is so clear about how we have free will that we choose either blessings or curses by the lives that we live. And in these verses, Joseph, though, is saying, it's not even your fault. I'm not even going to hold you to it anymore. That's between me and God. And the fact that God is making himself a person for us to throw all of that pain on, if you really look at this as a situation, Imagine a, a couple where the husband says, all of the pain throughout your childhood, all of the pain at work, whatever you go through at the end of the day, I want you to just blame me for all of it. Because it's not fair what you've gone through. But I'm going to take it for you. And if you just put it all on me, I'm going to take it. And it's almost like it doesn't, it's like, that, it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> but isn't that the way that we react sometimes? You ever have a bad day at work and take it out on family member, friend, spouse? Never? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> and see, it's almost like we naturally do that, and God is saying, hey, don't even worry about it. Just put it on me. I am strong enough. I am big enough. And... On top of that is that he doesn't just take it, but that he gives it back to you completely washed and clean and restored and made into something beautiful. I mean, think about the idea when it says, when Jesus says, cast your burdens onto me, cast your sins onto me. That imagery is so overly simplistic to where we could be just so sinful, so dirty, and he says, just throw it all on me, I'll take it. And that is literally the epitome of the cross. 
That's the, whole, that's the power of the blood of Jesus. That it just turns our sins into something else. And that's what Joseph is describing, a place that he found with God, that he could trust God with his pain, with his experiences, with his mistakes. And it was only at that moment that he could find true restoration, that he could find true forgiveness for what he's gone through. Y'all dig that? And I want, I want you to think about whatever it is that you need to, that you've been thinking about. I want you to go back to that place as a child. And it's most likely a place that needs forgiveness. And I want to, one, say that forgiveness is a lot simpler than we've made it out to be in church. I've said it before that forgiveness could be as simple as if you do not want, if you were standing before God and God brought that person out and said, do you want me to send them to hell because of what they did to you? Do you want me to punish them for what they did to you? And if in your heart you can genuinely say, no, I don't want you to punish them or send, if you, if you do not want judgment over that person, then that is forgiveness. That is you not wanting them to pay for what they've done to you. It's as simple as that. The forgiveness that we're going to go about today in this last part is more of a healing for your soul. Y'all dig that? Some of y'all may need to go to that, that first level of forgiveness and say, maybe you're at a place where you're like, no, I want them to go to hell. I want them to be judged. I want them to experience the pain that they caused me. And if that's you, I want you to really, just really bring God into this. And, and for everybody else, I want you to really look at this imagery we're going to go through. In Luke 17, verse 3 through 6, this is Jesus talking, and it says, So watch yourselves. If another believer... Uh, if, a, if another believer, and in the Greek it's saying your brother, someone very close to you, sins, rebuke that person, then if there is repentance, forgive. i never heard that in church before. Right? <laughs> if there is repentance, then forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostle said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. Because the idea of that kind of forgiveness, what they, it was so, Jesus was making it so practical for them that it seemed out of this world. How could I really forgive somebody like that? And so they said, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could even say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And I don't think a lot of us have really looked at that scripture where it says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, to talk about dealing with forgiveness, have we? He's saying, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can find it within you to forgive that person there's even any inkling of that forgiveness, that desire for restoration, even just a heart that wished that it was different, 
That is that little mustard seed that he's talking about. And he describes this bitterness as a mulberry tree. Now, I don't know what a specific mulberry looks like, but I just imagine this tree. And when I think about a tree of bitterness in my heart, isn't that what it feels like over the years? Doesn't it literally feel like there's a shade over your soul because this thing has grown and grown and grown and is just covering this light over you? It's covering the light over you and you're just in the shadow. You're in this dark place because this tree has grown so big that it's shadowing everything about you. And he's saying, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, uprooted and planted in the sea. And to think, could it really be that simple? That you could tell this tree of unforgiveness, this tree of bitterness, this tree of pain, this tree of hurt, to be uprooted and thrown into the sea. I think that that's a really great place to start. I think it's a great place to start because what he's really saying is that if you confront this tree, it's going to come down. If you just simply confront this tree, you can do it. You can uproot it. But if you continue to try to ignore this tree, it's only going to grow. And it's only going to continue to block out the light that gives you life that makes you feel alive, that makes you feel nourished. And to help encourage you to really find this place, this moment, to confront what you need to confront, even though unforgiveness is usually planted by other people, other people planted this tree in our hearts, we're the only ones that can take it out. And one of the most moving stories of this release. That's the way I've, I feel like when we find this healing, it's a release to our souls. It's like as if we've been holding in our breath for a really long time and you can finally breathe again. One of the most powerful things I've seen this in the Bible is with Esau and Jacob. In the story of Esau and Jacob, when they were still close brothers living in the same house, there's a day where Jacob stole Esau's blessing from his father. Even worse, his mother helped him do it. So Esau's mother and brother worked together in order to steal something that was his. That was his right. And when Esau and his father realized that Jacob had stole his blessing, it says that Esau started weeping bitterly and started begging his father, can't you just still bless me? Because in this time, that Isaac was so close to God and his words were so powerful. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And Isaac is, is, uh, is, is so close to the father of our faith, Abraham and when he would speak a blessing it was just like that's it's like you know getting your future laid out it was such a powerful thing to the point where he said 
how can I bless you too? I would just be speaking words that don't have any weight because I've already given it all to your brother. And in this part of the story, in Genesis 27, 38, it says, Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Think about that last verse right there. That last sentence. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. He's very elaborative about how his life is going to be dark, gloomy. He's always going to have to fight to get what's his. Isn't that not what it feels like when you have that, that pain in you? Isn't that not what our reaction when we experience someone hurting us so much to where we put up walls and we have to fight for our own and defend ourselves? We're not going to let anybody close to us because I'm not going to get hurt again. And it says, but when you decide, you will break free and shake his yoke from your neck. When he says you will serve your brother, it makes it reminds me of the imagery that forgiveness, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever you want to call it, is described as a prison that you lock yourself in and that you make that person the guard. And you can't leave. And in your mind, when you're holding on to it, you believe that they're the one in the prison cell. But it's actually you. You're trying to get them to drink poison in your mind, but you're the one drinking it. That's why he's saying you will serve your brother. You're going to serve him the rest of your life because everywhere you go until you forgive him, you're going to be holding on to him. And he's going to follow you everywhere. But when you shake his yoke from your neck is the moment that you'll be free. When you decide to break free, you'll be able to shake it off. To me, this is one of the most powerful illustrations of forgiveness I see in the Bible. And it gives such imagery of what release is like. A yoke is something that's put on an ox. It's like, it's heavy. He says, you'll be able to shake off all that weight that you've been carrying when you decide to break free. It's a release for your soul. And I just want to share one last story about redemption about restoration and it's the story of Job Job lost everything and in the midst of his pain he had friends that came and made his pain even tremendously worse instead of comforting him they accused him and fought with him and at the end of the whole story God confronts them all and speaks for himself and it's like a crazy scenario and he tells his friend job's friends that they were wrong and that they were not accurate in their descriptions about him 
And at the end, he tells his friends to make a sacrifice and ask Job to pray for them to be forgiven. And that the friends who accuse Job of being a sinful person, that's why everything bad, it's something you did that made all this bad stuff happen to you. Their accusations are flipped over on themselves and now they have to ask him for forgiveness because he was a more righteous man than them. And I want you to to take a moment to realize that Job was not told that he had to forgive them. That Job was not told he had to pray for them. But God simply told them that they had to ask him themselves. And now in this scripture, Job 42, 10 through 11, it says, when Job prayed for his friends, meaning Job decided to forgive them, that Job decided to pray for them, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because all of his trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. There's two things I want to point out. There's one, that even though everything was better, everything was restored, it says that he still needed to be consoled and comforted for the pain he went through, showing that you are just not healed and it's done. You're not just forget, you don't just forgive and move on and you never deal with it again. It says even after everything was restored, that they consoled him, that they comforted him in his grief. And, and now the last thing I want you to see out of this whole message is that it is the moment that he forgave his friends that everything was restored to him. And I feel like it's just, it's like what I described at the beginning of Floodgate. I feel like that, it's like this, what we hold on to stops the waters of our life. It turns our river into a swamp. And whenever we, we fixate on holding things against others, even when we have the right to, it stops the goodness of God in our life. It, it just holds back what he, the double portion He really wants to give to you. And I really just feel like in, our, in this moment right now, the goodness that, that God wants you to feel right now is that release, that restoration, that peace. And in order to do that, you really got to confront some of these things and go back to that childhood moment we talked about at the beginning and find that closure in that person, in that situation the only way you can do that is by confronting it. I'll even go a step further by talking about it with somebody. Praying with someone through it. Someone that you can really talk to. Someone that you can trust. And until you do that, you're holding back yourself that, that weight over your shoulders that could be, you could break free from. So I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord, right now, I know that you are weighing on people's hearts here today. 
I know that you are speaking very specific things. And I also know that you love these people so much that you care about what they've gone through, that you understand their feelings, their hurts, their pains, their regrets, and that you see them as a person that is loved, that is forgiven, that is redeemed, that is restored. And God, I, I feel like one of the biggest things today is that people need to see themselves as that, as loved, as forgiven, as restored, as redeemed. And I feel like where they need to start in order to see that themselves that way is by releasing the yokes that they've been carrying, the people that they've been carrying, the outcomes that they've been carrying. And so right now I ask that you speak to each person, speak to each individual, and say what you really need to say to them. Speak to their hearts and cause them to find this moment of confrontation and closure in you right now, Jesus. And that you would start the work of this tree being uprooted. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.